Hi, I'm John Becker, and welcome to the Outdoor Knoxville Insider Podcast brought to you by Legacy Parks Foundation. You can find out a lot more about Legacy Parks at LegacyParks.org. The 2019 USA Pro and Paracycling Road National Championships were held in Knoxville this past weekend for the third year. Knoxville native Stephen Bassett placed second this year. What a charger this kid is. After undergoing surgery last year, Stephen began training with a renewed passion and is traveling all around the world with his team. And we had the pleasure of sitting down with Stephen back in March. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Stephen Bassett, who's a local boy turned mega cyclist. We are so good. Great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a real privilege, man. You're uh, you, you're turning 24 in the month of March, but already you've had a pretty amazing career. Uh, for people who haven't been following you, let's just start where you are, and then I'm going to rewind a little bit and talk about how you got there. But right now, I mean, you've just won one of the one of the toughest races on the circuit as an amateur. Yeah. So uh, last week I won Oak Glen, which is the third stage of the Redlands Classic. So that's it's always kind of a kickoff race. It's a, it's just a really prestigious early season race, and uh, honestly, I surprised myself a lot. I wasn't sure how the form was going in. Didn't have a great first two days, and then all of a sudden, I was up there, and I was like, "Well, I might win this. I might win this race." And then, when did that come to your mind? Were you uh, a couple miles from the finish, or when did you know, "Hey, I think I may win this thing"? Yeah, about um, three miles from the finish. It was kind of like all these guys that normally are leaving me in the dust when it comes to going uphill, really skinny guys, uh, all of a sudden they were kind of popping off and I was like, well, I'm still here, I mean, why not? And then uh, then I started kind of, the racing instincts took over a little bit. Oh, wow, what a feeling, man. To, so did you have it won um, really within the last mile or so? Or? Yeah, with, uh, 300 meters, so really only the last 30 seconds of the race. Wow. Of a four-hour day. That's an amazing finish. Well, congratulations on that. And let's talk about your start in Knoxville. You're a Bearden High School graduate. You're attending the University of Tennessee right now. But rewind your your cycling career. You started uh, at a very early age, kind of getting on a bike. Yeah, I started riding when I was you know six, and then one of my dad's students, he's a professor here at UT. One of his students. Uh, really encouraged me to come out and at the time I was like this is the coolest guy I've ever seen I gotta come to this race so pretty immediately got hooked into the racing ran cross-country a few years and then the knees just couldn't take it and then full-time uh, full-time bike racing since I was 14 since you were 14 and at that time did you were you already really pretty good or did it take you a while to get really good um, I was always pretty good I kind of made the joke that like uh, there's this under 23 category so 18 to 22 year olds and I was pretty much the eighth best for the whole time so uh, kind of been right on the cusp of, of being really good kind of the whole time yeah. and when you thought about cycling in your younger years did you always think hey I may want to do this for a living or I may want to be a pro or or was it a backseat thing uh, no that was that's pretty much the goal from from when I started yeah so you get into pro cycling, and that takes you around the world. What are what are some places or races that stand out to you when you think about that? Um, I used to go to Belgium every winter for uh, 
kind of these muddy events that would happen over Christmas break. So yeah, it was like Christmas, New Year's, you're away from your family, you're training. And then as I got older, I focused more on the road and I actually got to do some really cool stuff with the US national team. And so they're kind of based in Holland and then branch out into Germany and France and uh, Czech Republic, Italy. So we've gotten to travel around to a lot of those places and, and do some really cool races there. So as a Knoxville kid, do you hook into these teams and then they pay for your travel and your meals and your lodging? How does that work? Yeah, so there's you know a main sponsor of the team and then there's equipment sponsors that come in and provide all the gear. And then um, also with the national team, they do it kind of independently. They have a donor system that makes that work. But yeah, it's usually people who just like the sport and want to give back. So. So that's paid for because you don't have a lot of time to earn a living with another job. Your, your total focus has to be racing. Yeah, so uh, a lot of people would do it total focus. I kind of do a half and half doing school. Um, usually it was just doing school in the, in the fall and now doing school full time. So it's definitely an adjustment to, to do both kind of full gas and it's, it's hard sometimes, but we'll, yeah, I enjoy it. Well, we'll dig into that balance, um, but I, I want to know, growing up, were there places that you love to ride to, to get your legs in the kind of shape you need to be to a, be a pro cyclist, and where were they here? Mm -hmm. So, kind of the Foothills Parkway is kind of the, the big one, and everybody's going to Foothills to train. Um, there's actually five ways to the, Look Rock is the top, and there's five different roads that go to the top. So a lot of times I'll go out there and just do one, two, three, four, five, and you stack up 10,000 feet of climbing pretty quickly. So all that's really accessible. It's about an hour ride from Knoxville, and that's kind of, I mean, it's perfect. And then especially now they have that new section that's another 14 or 15 miles that's probably even more scenic and that's really nice to have. So while you're uh, burning and uh, crying for food, you can also enjoy the view. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really picturesque. Yeah, and when you're on a training ride, give us your typical training day. So it'll probably be four to five hours, eating almost the whole time, drinking a lot of the time, and then, uh, you know, sometimes it's just steady and you go out and ride, but a lot of the times now it's so scientific that you have your prescribed intervals and you, it's pretty hard. Like you don't, it's not a ton of just cruising around. It's a lot of putting in work and efforts. And stuff. So your heart rate is way up, um, mm -hmm. at least for a certain amount of time. And then there may be some rest periods, but it's, is it that hit training applied to um, cycling? Yeah, so I think a lot of people think of cycling as like an endurance grind away sport. And in some cases it is, so you have to have that endurance to get to the finish, but once you get there, it really becomes like a strength and a power sport, because you're, you're sprinting and usually the last 20 seconds decides the race, so you kind of have this weird mixture of uh, fast switch, flow twitch athletes that tend to excel. Mm -hmm. And is there a way that you found that helps improve that in you? Yeah, so I kind of think about it like just trying to isolate every part of the race. So a lot of times I do like, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, uh, what I would call tempo or pretty hard. And then on top, so you get to where you're working. And then on top of that, you start doing more intense efforts to kind of mimic the ramp up and then the finish. And that seems to work really well for me. And you mentioned you're eating the entire time. What, what does that mean? What are you eating and, and how often is that happening? Um, so I think, the most I would eat would sometimes be 400 calories in an hour on a really intense day. And when you think about that, that's quite a bit. That's 
a pack of Pop-Tarts or two Cliff Bars. And that's a lot when you stack that up for five, six, seven hours in a row. It's a lot of calories. Um, you know, it's pretty easy to do a 5,000 calorie training day and then you add that to your 2,000 calories to stay alive. And it's, it's a lot of food in one day. <laughs> it's a lot of food in one day. 7,000 calories in a day. Yeah. Yeah. That's mind-blowing, man. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a gift and a curse. Sometimes you get tired of eating at six or seven days into a race. <laughs> you just don't want to do it anymore. Well, it, it seems so incongruous, too, because you look at cyclists and their body types are so thin. Um, and we know they're just one big muscle in many ways. But you do have to keep that fuel rolling or else what happens? Um, we call it the bonk or hunger flat. And you just... It's, it's all the lights go out and then uh, you're kind of just crawling into the finish and then a lot of times it takes a couple days to kind of recover and get your stores back up to where you can compete again. So for amateur athletes, I think sometimes weekend warriors go out and they put may put in what they may do an hour um, a day during the week and then they may kind of try to push that to two hours or four hours during a, a, a heavy weekend. Um, what should they think about and notice so they can avoid the bonk on those weekend days. Yeah, I think it's important to start eating earlier than you think. So, you know, an hour in, you might not be hungry, but it's probably time to eat. And then also, especially if it's hotter, keeping on top of the electrolytes. That's something that I struggle with sometimes. When it's really hot, it's like easy to just keep drinking water and then all of a sudden you've got cramps. And that's something you just kind of stay on top of all the time. Even sometimes when you're going to bed the night before, it's like you can almost feel that water just flushing through you if you don't uh, make sure you have the salt that lets you retain it. Um, any other valuable tips that you give to people who are uh, amateur athletes but really want to make sure they're doing um, good things by taking care of their body and what they put in it? Yeah, I've kind of been, um, I've been really into salads and smoothies because that's, that's just something I like to do. I think it's fun, separate from competition. I just kind of, I think it's important to see taking care of your body as something you do for you and separate it from sport and I think that makes it a little more rewarding. I want to talk about pro cycling just in general. You know, we went through the Lanch years. How has that colored pro cycling in the years since? Well, he definitely made it popular in the U.S. And then it's it's kind of constantly evolving from there. So now the gravel racing is, is really popping up. So that's definitely more of a mass participation, less of a elite sport, which is pretty cool. And it still has that element. And I really enjoy doing those races. But a lot of people begin to into that. And uh, the mountain biking, especially in Knoxville, with all the new trails, has been has been blowing up for sure. So you will cross train as well, even as a, as a pro cyclist on the road. You'll you'll do some mountain biking or you'll do some gravel riding. Yeah, I do a ton of gravel riding, um, especially up like the Waterville, Tennessee area, or Teleco Plains. They have a ton of just remote roads that are pretty perfect training ground. Um, and do you have a favorite one? as far as uh, off-road in the city center or around Knoxville that's close? Yeah, there's the like the Hasty Park area I really like. It's a little tighter and twistier. And then Baker Creek is way more popular with people that are true mountain bikers and uh, like to go off jumps and stuff that I don't do. <laughs> Still fun to watch though, right? Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> what was it like uh, being able to compete in your hometown? You've done that the last couple years when the the pro circuit came in, in, came into Knoxville. That must have been thrilling. 
Yeah, I think the first year I was really nervous. And uh, the second year, I was coming off an injury, and it was my first race back. And so I really, it was more of an opportunity that year, and I think I embraced it a little more. But it was pretty crazy both years. It was like a lot of the other people that I was racing that I knew were like, we never heard anyone else's name. So it's pretty cool to be uh, going up the hill kind of in your backyard and a few hundred people chanting your name. That is so cool. And what did the other pro cyclists who were here who may not have experienced Knoxville say about this city? I mean, yeah, I think they all uh, kind of realize it's a hidden gem. And I'm, there's so much good training immediately available. There's stuff to do downtown. There's just a lot of cool things going on. So I think it probably exposed a lot of people to what we have to offer. You mentioned injury. This has not been... Uh, pardon the pun, but an easy road for you. No. Uh, you've had to, to overcome. Talk about that and, and what got you through it. So I had basically a cyst in the saddle area that was maybe the size of an egg. So I really couldn't sit properly on my bike. I was having problems where one leg would get so tired I had to drag it upstairs. I really, I was kind of incapacitated in terms of being able to really compete. The worst thing ever for a cyclist. Yeah, and uh, it actually took two, the, I had a surgery and uh, that was really hard because the first surgery didn't completely get rid of the problem. So, you know, four months later I was going back under the knife and for an even more expensive surgery. So it ended up being about eight months uh, totally off and in a, a sport where it's almost all year-to-year -year contracts, um, that was really nerve-wracking, not knowing if I was going to be able to continue doing it. And so there were times, I'm sure, where you were thinking about, is this something I'm going to be able to continue to do? What told you, yes, I'm going to be able to push through it? Um, so kind of the pivotal thing was, you know, I just was waiting for it to heal naturally, and then I actually got in with Wes Franks at Provision Physical Therapy, and uh, as soon as I got in with him, he started working on it, and we were able to break up the scar tissue and soften everything to where it could work. So, I mean, there was, I think that was in March or April of last year, so, I mean, within a month of working with him, I was back on the bike and starting to train again, so that was, that was huge, and he's helped me through several injuries, knee problems and stuff, so. Mentally, it's it's a huge challenge as well as physically, isn't it? What ex, it, describe that because you mentioned it at the beginning of our conversation, just what it takes at the end of the race. But I, I would just think the endurance in your mind that it takes in those long training days has got to be pretty intense as well. Yeah, I think it's you got to think about why you want it. If you're some people want to beat other people, some people want to prove to themselves that they can do it. So. Um, for me, I think the injury did change it. It's, I see it more as an opportunity and really embrace the process of, of getting to train because I, you know, you don't always get that chance. So maybe uh, enjoying every step of the way instead of just focusing on the end result. Let's talk about what's next for you and, and what you see. You're just coming off this terrific win. Um, and what do you see as your future in, in this sport? Uh, well, next week I have another race in Arkansas called Joe Martin that I'm really excited about. And then long term, you know, it's, I'm kind of deciding, you know, if I'm going to go back to being professional, what I want to do. Uh, I've had the chance with First Internet Bank, the team I'm on now, it's an amateur team. And I really have had the most fun I've ever had racing with them. So 
Um, I think we'll see through the season. It'll become clear to me what I want to do. But for right now, I'm really enjoying uh, going to school and racing my bike. And we talked about that balance. You're studying English. You're earning a degree on pace to do that um, in the fall of next year. How is that balance for people who are trying to find balance in their lives? Yeah, it's it's uh, pretty challenging, and it's definitely something I've had to work on since I started. I think when I started, I was a little bit timid to ask for permission. You know, I didn't want to ask for too much special treatment. And now it's like, as, as soon as I know the races, before the semester starts, I'm saying I'm going to be missing these three days. The week before, I tell them I'm going to miss these days. The, the day I get back, I say I missed this day. What do I need to do? So. I think uh, the communication, and I'm sure that's the same with, uh, with the day job, it's just making sure everybody's on the same page so you don't get kind of caught out. Well, I've been asking some of your fans what they wanted to, to hear from you, so I'm going to rattle through okay. a couple of questions. Um, they wanted to hear the, the local spot, so reiterate that or another one that you might recommend. Um, I really like the, the Kodak loop. In, uh, that's easily accessible from Knoxville. That's the, one of the bikes to shop rides every Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, does that loop. And so, you know, I've been doing that ride since I was 12 years old or whatever, so, and I still do it all the time. So that, the new parkway, one of my favorite roads that not everybody rides is East Norris Cove. So that's also in Townsend, also pretty easily accessible. It's like some of the best stuff anywhere. And it's kind of all right in the backyard. You're, this is coming from a guy, for our listeners, who has seen the world. I, I mean, that's that's pretty high praise. Yeah, for sure. All right, somebody else wanted to know uh, your worst crash. Uh, my worst crash? I have, I have two. And uh, one time I was riding and I hit a pothole and went straight to my face and had a concussion and somebody basically had to take a spatula and scrape me off the road and uh, I was really lucky that he could take care of me and take me to UT Hospital and uh, luckily came out of that one relatively okay. How fast were you going when you hit it? 20 miles an hour and then I had a, a similar incident at the finish of a race in Colorado where I had a concussion at a pretty high speed crash and you know, it's definitely something I'm worried about with, uh, you know, all the research on that stuff. So definitely something to keep in mind. Make sure you have the good helmet on and just try to be safe. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely scary. Absolutely is. Um, another question, how do you whiz on the bike? I think we know that answer, but yeah, it does happen, right? Yeah, it does happen. Uh, you kind of pick the gradual downhill. About 20 miles an hour is kind of the spot, and then uh, you you kind of pull the jersey up and the shorts down. And if you're lucky, somebody will come and give you a little helping hand on the back to keep you moving. And then uh, you'll kind of just let fly. Um, the secret part is when it's raining, you just do it in your shorts because nobody can see it. See, they, they, people want to. This is the Insider Knoxville podcast. This probably will be the most listened to segment of it in in history of podcasting. God, that's awesome, Bassett. You were you were the man. Okay, one other thing that uh, somebody wanted to know was, did you use training wheels when you first started riding your bike? I. I think so. That sounds like something I would do. Yeah. yeah. I do remember the day I learned to ride without training wheels. I rode through, a, I pulled a mailbox out of the ground and I hit it. 
so I rode through my neighbor's mailbox. Uh, but I guess I kept riding anyway, so it <laughs> probably says a lot. I didn't learn my lesson. That does say a lot, man. It sounds like what you've done with life. Well, we really appreciate you spending a little time with us. It's been fun to get to know you. Anything else that you'd leave our listeners with about the sport of cycling, where it's headed, where you'd like it to see it go? Yeah, I think um, it's definitely headed towards a more... Like, it's kind of falling on the athletes to be more communicative, so... That's something that I'm working on, that my team's working on. It's just trying to like make people, you know, not just results and stats, and it's just trying to trying to tell our story a little bit better is something that everybody's working on because it's like you can't expect people to follow you and and want to know all your stuff. You kind of have to put it out there. Well, you described that uh, in something I read just. There's such value in having 10,000 Instagram followers. Yeah. There, there, there is some cachet when you, in the social world that we're in, to, to build that up. Yeah, more, more than ever now. I mean, there's plenty of guys that are signed because of their, because of their presence. So uh, it's just kind of another part of the job, and luckily it's something that's pretty fun. And it's not, it's not too hard, but um, I think that does help everybody be more engaged in it. If people want to follow you, how can they do it? Uh, Instagram, Stephen Bassett, and then it has an underscore, and it's the same on Twitter. So Stephen Bassett underscore, um, StephenBassettCycling.com. Uh, that's probably it. All right. Stephen Bassett, again, thanks so much for charging hard, and thanks for representing yeah. Knoxville, Thank man. you. Really, really fun to hang with you. And we'll have um, the details about how you can find Stephen as well in the notes for the podcast. And thanks for listening in, and and I hope you drop into some others, and and everybody out there, keep charging. Thanks so much for listening to the Outdoor Knoxville Insider Podcast, brought to you by Legacy Parks Foundation. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star rating. And you can follow us on social media, at Legacy Parks, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.